0: Morning everyone. Sometimes when I prepare a a Sunday teaching, I know that I'm going to press big red buttons. I know that I'm going to press big red cultural buttons. And, And I know you think, oh I love doing that because I'm from Yorkshire and I've really got no kind of emotional intelligence at all. But no, I really don't like doing that. I really feel very nervous at pushing your big red buttons. Uh, But I'm going to push these two today on purpose. Still echoing. Is it that? Is it from here? Um, The first one I'm going to push is our love of choice and our struggle with commitment. The other one, perhaps, I'm going to push is our view of ourselves as individuals. And also, you're probably feeling this already, maybe if you're new, our suspicion of leadership and institutions. And these cultural threads are interwoven, and they're often reinforcing each other. So some of my comments might press all the buttons all at the same time. Uh, So please don't walk out or throw things uh, or write me a a nasty email. I am trying to be biblical. I'm trying to serve you. I am not trying to annoy you. And in pressing these buttons, you think, well, what's the topic today then? He's definitely going to be talking about something hugely controversial, Not at all. I'm going to talk about the hugely controversial thing of belonging to a local church. It couldn't be more mainstream, but yet the fact is it is going to push your buttons because it presses some of mine. But the reality is it couldn't be more mainstream because Christians have been, for 2,000 years, added to local churches. We saw that right at the beginning of our series on Acts. It says, and 3,000 believed uh, believed the gospel, uh, were baptised just pause there, if you haven't been baptised, baptised and were added to the church. It was part of it. It wasn't they were baptised and went off and did their own little thing. They were added to the local church. And so I think this is as important enough that I've done what I haven't done for ages, which is the series we were going to start this week. We've pushed it back a few weeks. So we've got a brilliant series called The cross in five words, which we would normally do running up to Easter, but that's going to start on Easter Sunday and run after Easter. So we're doing this. We're going to do a series called Get Connected. And if you think, I've seen this before, it's because you have. It's because many of you have done a course called Get Connected and what we've tried to do is to bring many of you on the course and you haven't done it. And I know we're a Christian church, so I don't think this really fits, but we're going to bring the mountain to Muhammad today. Okay, we're bringing the course to you today. And you might think, no, I know it all, I've heard it all, but actually I think there's something to be said in remembering. Say that, say it with me, remember. Remember, pause it, remember. Member. Okay, so we want to remember everyone. We want everyone to recommit. We want everyone to, to, to say, This is my church. Part of that is because of what's happening in COVID. Part of that's because just the general change and churn that's happened in this church. And so, what we're going to do, the plan is to invite everybody to a Sunday lunch moment at the chapel it is in progress we are putting in we're putting in a change of use that was in this week we were told that the change of use will happen by the 23rd of April one way or the nut another I think it's very straightforward I think it will be quicker than that I was hoping that this Together, night was going to be at the chapel. Not yet. We will get there, and the first thing that will happen is you'll be invited to a lovely lunch. We'll have to buy a stove first, so maybe we'll ask you to give more money. But no, we're going to have a a lovely recommitment moment, a lovely connecting moment, and um, to recommit, to remember, to rebelong to God first. So that's what we're going to do. So over the coming weeks, over the coming weeks, we're going to look at um, some of these things that are in the in, actually in the graphic. We're going to look at what does it mean to be a gospel centered church? What does it mean to be a spirit empowered church? What does it mean to be a disciple making community? What does it mean, listen up leaders and elders, to be to be servant leaders? But this intro uh, is about what does it mean to belong to a church? Okay? Is that good? Have a tick those two boxes you're supposed to do as a preacher. Culturally, give you interest and also tell you where we are. Okay? So, if I've done that, that's fine. If I haven't, you can send an email to Christopher. Okay. So, there are loads of pictures of the church. We did a series when we came back from COVID about the church because we wanted to people to kind of get their head around this idea, ecclesia, the Greek word which means the gathered people of God. And there's kind of, we did a series on it. There it is. And uh, we talked about uh, bride, body, city, family, temple. Apart from all of those, all of those, family, household, body, bride, temple, all have one thing in common. What? Apart from the images of the church, yeah, I've just told you that one. What do they have in common? Anyone want them? They have people. Body doesn't have yeah, body has a person. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm looking for, the word I'm looking for, you know, like that when, you, when you're a school teacher and the, you keep saying, that's a great answer, that's a great answer until they get the one on the card. Okay, connectedness, they all have connectedness in common. Let's read a couple of verses and then we'll unplug, unpick the connectedness and move from there. So Romans 12, uh, uh, 4, normally in this ch- church we'll preach for a Bible passage, I'm not doing that today, it's a theme, so don't stress if you're new, Think, Oh, they don't preach the Bible, they just say what Howard wants to say. OK, so Romans 124 says, "And just as each of us has one body with many members or parts, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though, many form one body and each belongs to all the others." So that's a picture of a body, how we're all connected to the head. We're all connected to the life-giving heart. We're all connected to Jesus as part of Jesus' body. That's the, the metaphor, the image. And then 1 Peter 2.5, which is a little bit more um, a builder. uh, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And that's that metaphor of a church. That's a metaphor of bricks and rocks built together. And so they're all pictures of connectedness. The wonderful picture of Jesus and his bride. Uh, that, that, that's a there's an intimate connection. There's a warm commitment of brothers and sisters in God's family. There's the living connectedness, as I said, of being part of God's, uh, God's, uh, Jesus' body. And that stone-on-stone grandeur of being the temple of God. They're all connected. Preacher Tim Chester, who we've had at this church, brilliant guy if you want to read any of his books, he said, belonging to a local church community is not an add-on to an individual Jesus follower. It's not merely part of the small print of the gospel invitation, but woven into the very fabric of what it means to be a Christian. It's not doing church. What you're doing now, and I am preaching to the choir, you're here. Doing church is not an add-on to the Christian life. It's very much woven into the fabric. It's part of it. It's not you become a Christian and then you do church. And we struggle with that because... It, to. We struggle with this idea to be a follower of Jesus is to belong, meaningfully belong, to a community of the local church. Why do we struggle with that, particularly in the West? We struggle with that in the West because we tend to see faith only as individualistic. We are individualistic in the way we view the world, and so we tend to see faith in an individualistic way. So, if you're from, if you were from uh, the Mediterranean or from the Eastern world, you would de- uh, uh, Japan or something. You would define yourself by your family connections, by your network of friendships, or maybe the town you live in. And we used to have that in our past. So, is anyone here called Johnston? I'm just looking at uh, Hannah. Yeah, or whatever, Johnston you that 's the son of John somewhere there was a guy called John, and somewhere down in your family, Stephen, there was a, a, a son of and Alex down the back there, yes, yeah, son Johnson, or you know we've, we know that don 't we We know that that used to be your identity. It used to be I was part of that family, even the way we we use uh, surnames and and, you know, let's not get into it. This, I don't want to be slammed, but you know, kind of wives and husbands having the same surname and whatever. It, it, it's part of saying identity. Even in wider community, I just see how quickly I went through there. Uh, <laughs> even in wider, in in wider, your names come from wider communities, So my name comes from near the Lake District. Um, it's from a place called Neverkellet, which probably is, you think, yeah, never him. yeah, There's some little village called Neverkellet, and my family name comes from there, because my identity was in community way back. But we don't do that now, do we? We don't do identity from others, from our network of believers, particularly in the West. So what's happened in the West, we've got a rise of what, what philosophers called expressive individualism. Individualism means you and you only. Expressive means free to do what you want. And that flows from a a view of ourselves as as self-determining without reference to anybody outside. And even now, without reference to even our own bodies. I can have an identity that's separate from anything apart from how I feel about myself. And so that means that in, in, um, in the West, we, we struggle with institutions. We struggle with people like me telling people like you in an institution like this to do this. We struggle with that because we're saying, don't you tell me what to do. I'm self-determining. I see things my way. I decide my choice. Uh, Frank Sinatra has got a lot to answer for, hasn't he, when he says, I, I, I did it my way. So, But this means that in the West, we also see the Christian faith, and bear with me, as personal and individual. We, we see becoming a Christian is as only, only, I'm not saying it's not as only, a belief in a certain fa- facts about Jesus. So my sins are forgiven and I get to go to heaven when I die. That's it. That's what we see the Christian faith is. Uh, you know, I, I, I do it does annoy me, personal hate, where people say, if, I were, "If you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you." Have you heard that? It's not true. It's not about you and just Jesus and your little personal relationship with God. It is about personal relationship with God. It is about Jesus dying for your sins, but it's not just about that. Jesus is dying for a church, he's dying for a bride, he's dying for a community. You're already struggling, I can tell, because you've listened to the Alpha Course and the guy from Alpha Course said, if you were the only person in the world, it sounds lovely, but Jesus is dying for his bride, a collective community of the global church. Thank you for nodding. Oh, you're not from a Western culture, I see. <laughs> okay. And, 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 and Paul has this. It's one of my favourite verses. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He says, We cared for you so much that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel. As if the truth of Jesus was the only thing that was shared. Now don't mishear me. We're going to talk about Gospel Centre next week. But it's not the only thing that Paul shared. He said, We also Shared our lives because you'd become very dear to us. If you read Paul, he never, hardly ever talks about faith in an individualistic sense. You in your little corner doing your little bit of faith. Gordon Fee, who's written a, 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 lots of heavy books which are hard to understand, but there's an easy little, little black book called Paul, the Spirit and the People of God. It's about 10 years old, whatever, 15 years old. It says this. He's a theologian, so, but not. In his letters, Paul can hardly help himself. His focus and concern is always on the people of God, on the people as a whole. God is not simply saving diverse individuals and preparing them for heaven. Rather, he's creating a people, collective, and ours for his name. Though entered individually, so it is individual salvation is seldom, if ever, thought of simply as a one-on-one relationship with God. And while such a relationship is included, to be sure, but to be saved in the Pauline view means to become part of the people of God, who by the Spirit of God are born into God's family, and therefore joined to one another as one body, whose, whose gatherings in the Spirit form God's temple. Do you agree with that? Good. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. The gospel identity puts you in Christ's body, puts you as part of Jesus' bride. But here's the way it goes, though, isn't it? So hold that thought. This is the way it goes. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Correct? Okay, you can come here as long as you want, unless you find personal. Oh, I dare say that, personal. I'm contradicting myself. Faith in Jesus, you're not a Christian. But what happens is we do this. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Therefore, that equals you can be a Christian without being part of the church. What's true actually becomes this jumping off point for something unbiblical. Now you're all... Press your buttons now. Press your red buttons now. (laughs) And we've done that. It's unbiblical. The Bible, Paul never ever, Jesus never ever talks about that. This you in your little small corner. He's always talking about a people for his name. Brett McCracken in this book that I love, it's called Uncomfortable. It should have a big red button on the front, but it doesn't. Called Uncomfortable. Really like that that book. It's it's talked about how Christian faith is uncomfortable. It's, It's meant to make you uncomfortable. He says this. Jesus calls us not to be to. Individualized, self-styled spirituality, but faith in community, accountable to others. Christianity disembedded from the church is not really Christianity. It feigns to embrace Jesus while shunning his body. Boop boop boop. Self-styled spirituality. Now, you think, well, what, so should I have your styled spirituality, Howard? As if the institution has a right to tell me what spirituality I'm supposed to have? COVID made this worse. COVID made this worse. What happened is, COVID, the church became disembodied. Instead of being here, next to somebody else, maybe that you know them, better still if you don't know them, next to somebody else... It became Church Online, didn't it? And we did our best, you know, so you watch the live show. I know it worked. Even I felt it, and I used to record the sermons. <laughs> you First, you watch it live, don't you? And you think, yes, and I'll go on the Zoom, yes. And then next time, you'll just... Watch it half baked and not go on the Zoom. And the next bit, you'll watch someone else's church because they're much better than Howard, and they only talk for ten minutes. And the next bit, you think, "Well, I'll watch it next week." And then the next bit, you say, "Well, well, it's rule of six. I'll go out for a walk with my friends." Didn't we do that? Guess what? And we're still doing it. We're still doing it. We've developed a habit. We've developed a habit. Hebrews, uh, the right to the Hebrews. I wish we knew it was, rather than to say the right to the Hebrews. But anyway, the right to the Hebrews says, "Let us consider how may we spur." Read that phrase. One another. Is it not up? Oh? Is it not there? Is it not Hebrews? Did I not put it in? Oh, What a loser! Another. What a what a loser! Okay, I'm going to tell you. You can't read it. <laughs> it says. Uh, Let us not let us consider how we may spur one another. Yeah, that's collective towards love and good deeds. Isn't that a good idea? Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What's that day? It's probably like a wedding day. It's the day of the Lord. It's day the day when Jesus makes all things new. So we've got this rising pattern of expressive individualism, where we've put ourselves at the centre of our spirituality. And even here, this one—let me just get a little, uh, a little kind of tick going. Has anyone heard it said, "Love your neighbour as yourself" means you have to love yourself before you can love your neighbour? Yeah. We've all said, that, haven't we? That's not what it means at all. Self-love is assumed. Self-love is like, as we had in that song, self-exalting is easy for me. Remember, was it in the first line of the song? Self-exalting is easy. Self-love is easy for me. It's not saying, oh, you have to love yourself before you can love others. What he's saying is, Jesus is saying, I know you're totally obsessed with yourself. Wouldn't it be great for you to be obsessed with other people? That's just for free. You can write to me later. And I've noticed this trend about, five, uh, about 15 years ago. I read this book called Blue Like Jazz. Probably none of you have heard of it. Bear with me. It's a guy called Donald Miller. And I, I really liked the book. I read it at the time. And he says this. I connect with God more outside the church. The church is all around us. And I thought, yeah, that seems pretty good, doesn't it? I really like that one. Because, you know, I, don't, I kind of grew up in the kind of, um, you must do this, you must do that. Turn up, sing up, cough up, cough up legalism of church. That, you know, going to church was all it was and they told you what to do and whatever. And you think, yeah, come on, Donald Miller, you're hitting it now. You know, let's just kind of find God everywhere. But now I realize, I think I might have, have I written it down. Is there quite, have I, yeah, I've written my rant there. Uh, an authentic response so must do this, must do that. Uh, turn up, sing up, cough up legalism in institutional church. I thought, yeah. But no, it's the start of the churchless I-faith. That's not mine. That's from Brett McCracken, I-faith. That's an unbiblical, self-defined, do-what-I-want, pick-and-mix spirituality that leads away from being disciples of Jesus. Do you agree? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. There's not many people say, I agree with that. Church is everywhere. I can just connect with God everywhere. But what happens, that just becomes I do my own thing when I want, how I want And the interesting thing is, I've observed, and I've been around this a while, I was 63 this week, thank you for the two cards. Um, uh, I've been around a while and I've seen the drift that happens. But let me give you a big example. You might or might not have heard of an American pastor called Rob Bell. Anyone heard of him? About five of us. Oh no, more than that, good. And he started to say this. He started to say, church is not a building. And we all go, yeah, yeah churches are people. And, and, and so therefore, I don't need to attend church. Cause, and this was his phrase, we're churching it all the time. And he had this phrase, he, he had this long quote say, we're churching it at the beach. Obviously, it's from somewhere nice and warm and like here you know churching at the golf course churching it around with our friends churching it with family churching it down the pub churching it we're just churching it we're not really, whatever and he, he had this and it felt like really authentic but the bottom line is if you look at where rob bell is now he's a million miles away from orthodox christianity because if you just church it with your friends you aren't really churching it at all not in a biblical sense. That's not saying you can't have a meal with your friends. But don't pretend it's churching it as a replace for this and the other things we do. It's not. So Rob Bell and Don Miller are articulating a bit not biblical Christianity, but Western choice individualism and its twin consumerism. We love to find freedom to be able to do what I choose to do as we please, unstra- constrained by external commitments. Let me give you a silly example that I still need prayer for. somebody They're not, no longer part of this church. Somebody really, really got cross with me because I asked them to move forward at a prayer meeting from the second row to the first row. They said, who are you to tell me what to do? I thought he was incredibly heavy-handed, and I thought I'm just trying to create a nice community together. Do you think? Do you think I was too touchy? Do you think I should should just soak that up? I did. I said, I said, well, I kind of feel like I'm a father in here, and I'm like, you know, fathers are encouraged to to, to encourage the children to do what's right. He wasn't having it because. We think freedom means we can do as we please, unconstrained by external commitments. And you know if you're a mum, that's not true. And you know if you're a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a co-worker, you know that's not true. Freedom doesn't mean you get to do what you want without reference to anyone else. It means you're in community, whether you like it or not. Mark Sayers, I've used this quote before because I think, It kicks me and kicks you, kicks others. I'm not trying to kick you, but just I'm trying to say hello. Mark says, American pastor says, a mode of church engagement characterized by commitment. That's what it was. Commitment, resilience and sacrifice has disappeared among many Western believers. In its place is a new mode of disengaged Christian faith and church interaction is emerging. This new mode is, is characterised by sporadic, sporadic engagement, passivity, commitment phobia, and insatiable consumerism. We've become Sunday consumers. We've become consumers of the activity. Sunday uh, Coming to church on Sunday, being in a small group, becomes just one activity along a load of activities that kind of can meet your needs that you think, well, uh, uh, there's a marketplace of activities and church is one choice and going to a local drama club is another and watching leads on telly is another and here are all all these choices and this week I'll pick. Yeah, do we do that? But even if we don't say I'm going to pick, you know, but, but actually I need time with my family. We all need time with your family. I'm not saying don't have time with your family. You know, you don't know how busy my life is, Howard. Sorry for you. You only work an hour on a Sunday. You don't know how busy my life is. I just need a lie-in. Do we all need... uh, Hand it if you want a (laughs) lie-in. Thank you for not choosing a lie-in by coming here. I see Flick's face, I've got a baby, I don't need a (laughs) lie-in. We need a lie-in. Or, you know, hand it if your life is so busy. It is, isn't it? If you knew how busy my life was... I just need some me time. I just need some lying time. Church or lying, me or the community. And the thing is, even when we do come to church, we attend as a consumer. We're increasingly informed, but it increasingly informs our approach to belonging to church. We shop around for a church to fit our preference. So, you know, I, I quite like that just because their music style. Mm, yeah, their music style. I like their music style. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's on top of my list. Uh, I, 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 like, um, I like their coffee, yeah. their sermon length, it's TED Talk, 10 minutes, none of this Howard Kellett ranting nonsense, yeah. Yeah, whatever. You know, I like that. I remember actually that, that Christian books, if you were in Christian leadership in the 1990s, there were whole books telling you how to create. A, a culture for the consumers. There's loads of Christian consumers and they're shopping around and let's create something for the consumers. So what we need is a funky venue without a of teachers' desks and like Ludd and, oh, you know, and what we need is lights. I mean, we did this in Manchester, didn't we? It was embarrassing. Guys. We did it in Manchester. We had Andy Allen does this. We had light show We had, light, we had a hazer machine with smoke and whatever. So I'm thinking, you know what the consumer wants is that, you know, so we're going to give them that. We're going to give them a semi professional worship band. We'd like to have professionals, but you know, it's hard to work with volunteers, you know. And it's all accessed, all accessed at the lowest bar of commitment. You know, don't worry, we'll be there to meet your needs 24 7. Even though you hardly show up, prophetically, I'm going to know what's going to go on in your life. You <laughs> know, you're not even in a small group, but somebody's going to care for you. Because that is what church is supposed to do. I'll just turn up once a month. And they'll all care for me. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't choose a church with discernment. So you see, there's a lot of like, ah, but you said that and now you're saying that. I'm not saying you shouldn't choose a church with discernment. Do think about the church you choose. If you hate this one, find one you like. But don't go churching it on the beach. Because it's better than St. Matthew's. You know, I, discernment's quite a good thing in making a choice, isn't it? My boys are dating two really lovely girls. I'm feeling quite, we're feeling quite smug about it. We've, we're batting ourselves on the, back, on the back about our amazing parenting skills and the way they've chosen these. It's totally the grace of God if you knew my kids. <laughs> you need a bit of discernment. You know, when you're shopping around on those websites, you know, the Christian websites, you think, oh, I'll go on there. Uh, He's not quite what I thought. Uh, mm, She—I thought she was a Christian. You know, there's there's choice. It's okay. We like choice, don't we? You know, I remember when I was young, free, and single, and I had choice. (laughs) (laughs) But somewhere along the line, get this: choice must become commitment. You look around on Rightmove for a house. That, finds, that seems nice. You go on Airbnb for a holiday venue. Oh, I like that, I like that. Sooner or later, you've got you to pitch in and have one. And immediately think, oh, I've got the wrong house. <laughs> that Airbnb, you look it on Google Maps. Oh, flip, it's near, a, it's near a sewage works. It looked great in the pictures. You marry someone. And she says to you, you're not the man I married. And I said, yeah, because you didn't really know me. But thankfully we're committed. <laughs> because if we weren't, I'd I'd, she'd have left me a long time ago. So commitment, choice has to turn into commitment. Yes, it has to turn into commitment. And it's true for following Jesus. Sam Albury, who's single. He's talking about singleness. This comes out of his great book about uh, 10 Myths of Singleness. He says, the church is the beloved bride of Christ. Church is not his hobby. It's his marriage. And then he says this, and it's ours too. Oh, now you've been extreme. I was really with you until you said it's ours too. What, you're supposed to commit to God first church like you commit to your wife? No, but you're supposed to commit to God's gathered community like you commit to your spouse. Now you've been extreme now. Come on. I'm landing now. Okay, nearly. (laughs) The problem is if we join a marriage or a church as consumers, if it's just something that we'll stick with as long as it meets our preferences and caters for our needs, we ain't going to stick long. We ain't going to stick long. It's going to be disposable. Brett McCracken, again, in the book I quoted, says this. Churches that shift away from the fixed point of Jesus, I mean, I've been here, boy, to the fickle, diverging paths of individual churchgoers, those churches lose their bearings and become inherently unstable. When a church becomes less about the demands of Scripture on individuals and more about the demands of individuals on church to fit their preferences favored Work music style, I'll do sermon length, brand of coffee and so on. Is it up there? Yeah. Read this sentence with me. It loses its power to transformers and subvert idols. It becomes a commodity to be shopped for, consumed and then abandoned when another shinier, trendy, more relevant option appears. And obviously we used to be that shiny, trendy, relevant option, didn't we? And it was lovely when you joined us when we were the new thing. But we aren't the new thing now. But thank you for being here. But something's gone missing in all this individual choice consumerism. We need to remember that belonging to and being committed to a local church is essential for being a follower of Jesus. You don't come to church to be entertained or to be made to feel good. You come, as Paul writes in Romans 8.29, to be conformed to the image of his dear son. So that Jesus would be the firstborn among a family of believers. Church is about the power to transform us and subvert our idols. But the thing is, because we hold so tightly to our idols, if I poke on your idol, you're gone to the next church that's not going to do that. And i I've tell your behavior needs to be transformed because that way of behavior is not following Jesus, then you're on to the next church that's not going to challenge your behavior. So what happens is the goal is the week by week, day by day, Sunday worship, small group giving and serving that us, That turners, as Paul says in, in, in Acts, that turners from our idols of sin to serve the true and living God. That's what we're in the business of doing. That's really what I want to do. I mean, there was a time when I used to get... I, I'm, I probably still do and I probably still need ministry. I'm trying to look at people who have known me for a long time. About how big the church was. And I would be absolutely down the tubes. I don't know if it was a small Sunday or whatever. I was just a mess now, wasn't I? I'm a bit, bit better now, aren't I? <laughs> She's not so sure. And I guess it's so easy when you read those books in the 90s and the early noughties. To concentrate on the wrong thing. To concentrate on the wrong metrics, to concentrate on those things that didn't tell us about the heart. So why did we call the church God first this time? The church that I was in in Manchester was called Hope Church. Called it God first, A, because I knew a guy in South Africa who I loved a lot who called his church God first, and I thought, oh yeah, I like that. So he found this quote for me. Now let us ask ourselves some very plain questions. Is is a South African. They kind of do that, don't they? They like to ask you plain questions. I'm looking at Christopher. He's giving me nothing back. Now let us ask ourselves some very plain questions. Does God come first in your life or does your business hold supreme place? Is it God first or pleasure? God first or money? What about my family, my loved ones? Do they come first or does God? What then are the terms of discipleship? Let me give the answer in two words. God first. And if I could, I'd put them on a banner in the sight of every congregation in the world. God first. So how do I measure what's in your heart? I can't. I can't see into your heart. I can't see where the idols are and the areas you need to be transformed. I can't. And... But there are are some metrics, and don't mishear me. This is not turn up, sing up, cough up, institutional slam. But what do you make of these metrics? What do you make of these metrics? On any given Sunday, a third of Godfirsters aren't here. This week, only 55 of us out of 130 attended our small groups. 40% of attenders aren't committed, they're not members. A third of G1 don't serve on a Sunday or midweek. And only thirty people come once a month to prayer meetings. Now you could say, How you've got obsessed with numbers, that's your trouble. You need prayer ministry, and I probably do. But actually I believe that they tell me something. They don't tell me everything. Yeah. You know, I know that sometimes there's stuff happens and you need to be away, and you know, I'm not saying you've got to be there every Sunday to get to heaven when you die. I'm not please don't mishear me, but I'm saying it does say something. But actually I think that we need to recommit to the belonging to this local church because actually doing local church in its very mundane sense is transformational, And we're going to talk about that in weeks to come, but let me leave you with two quotes. James K.A. Smith, he talks a lot about how the heart habits shape our spiritual formation. And Christopher and I were having this conversation. Maybe we need something more funky than small groups. Maybe small groups have had their day. Maybe we need a different way of getting about it. And as I'm preparing this on Friday, just this quote came to my head. We don't need some new, new program or novel formula that solves the problem of discipleship. To the contrary, it's ancient. The Church's worship is the heart of discipleship. The formation of the heart is a life encompassing week in, week out journey that radiates from and is nourished by the Sunday worship life of the congregation gathered around the Word and Table. The most potent, changed, transformative location of the Spirit's heartwork is found in the most unlikely of places the church. It's not found, churching it on the beach, walking in the hills, although I love those things. There is no sanctification without the church. You can't become more like Jesus without the church. You might for a while manage, but eventually you won't. So let me finish with this quote then. I know some people some people say you use too many quotes, because people say better than me. Some people say better than me. This is by a pastor from the states called Colin Tuells Hanson. He said, "When I talk to new people, when when I talk with new people to our church, I make a big promise. And so far, no one has returned to complain that I've misled them. I promise, if they show up consistently in our church—that's Colin's church it's probably true with us—that means corporate worship on Sunday and home group midweek—and seek to care for others, they will get everything they want out of church." By fulfilling just these two simple tasks, they'll find friendship, biblical knowledge, practical help, and pastoral care. But ultimately, they look back on a life of spiritual growth that has become more like Jesus.